Welcome to Buff Stampede Radio. Wait, should I always enjoy having my locker room? Weird, that <laughs> of course, it's Adam Munster's But you can't put that kind of pressure on your team. And they were so sick of hearing Dan, reading Dan Hoffman's quotes, listening to Dan Hoffman's audio. And we've got a job to do. I had to go out there every day and present you know, the material. You can't just cover spring ball without, with, with ignoring everything the head coach says. The transition is <laughs> absolutely impeccable. Welcome to Bus Stampede Radio. William Whalen here with all the guys. We got Ryan Konigsberg, uh, senior writer over at BuffStampede.com, publisher of BuffStampede.com, Adam Munster Tiger in the house as well, and fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Of course, I'm William Whalen, assistant editor of BuffStampede.com for one more day. Not even a day. This is like my last work assignment. I'm going to have a column coming tomorrow, kind of my, my big farewell. You know, it's like my retirement speech. Uh, highlighting kind of uh, the the big moments in Colorado sports over the last four years since I've been covering the team, and you know, I'm really excited about it. it. You know, it's a bittersweet day to leave you guys and, and leave the Blake Street Tavern. You know, we've had a lot of fun here, hosting shows here for about a year and a half almost. Uh, we've had a great time. Chris Fusilay, uh the owner of the Blake Street Tavern, has always been so welcoming, uh, and his staff. You know, I, if you consider Tyler Ziska part of the staff, which I do, I, I think he's been pretty darn welcoming as well. So, guys. It's good to be here with you. How, how are, how's everybody doing today? I was kind of hoping like your your last column was going to be like this big middle finger to just everything that's gone. You're like, oh, I don't have to be here anymore, so I can just like just like rat out everyone for everything. Hey, Tom about Marco, remember that piece I wrote yeah. about you? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was hoping for. But I can, I can think of a few people you could probably give a few words to. You know, I, yeah, maybe, but we're going to keep it classy Trying here. To, like not burn bridges or something. What's up with that? No, I don't really care about bridges. You know, it's all about integrity. And since I lost mine a long time ago, we might be in for some of that. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm trying not to cheer up over here. This is a, it's a tough uh, show for us because you've done such a great job hosting, and uh, we're definitely going to miss you. Well, I, you know, I'm going to miss you guys. You know, if we, can, if we could bro hug over the tables, you know, I wouldn't. If you guys have enjoyed the podcast that we've been doing, Bus Stampede Radio, over the last year and a half, you know, I, I hope everybody knows how much fun I've had doing this, uh, doing articles for BuffStampede.com and Rivals.com and, and all that. You know, it, it's been it's been some of the best years of my professional career. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of people to thank, uh, but I won't go Matthew McConaughey on you just yet. So today, what, you guys don't get that reference? Are you serious? Yeah, we saw we saw it. Best actor. Speaking of bro hugs, I think I got enough bro hugs from you on Thursday night on Pearl Street. <laughs> just, gonna, just gonna put that out there. I don't remember that. <laughs> not surprisingly. You guys give quite a hug. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a hugger. I aim to please. So, guys, we we do have a radio show to do, and we got lots to talk about. CU basketball and football. A little bit of football, mostly basketball. Uh, some of the stuff we're gonna be touching on today. We're gonna go over the teams, uh, the basketball teams' success in the Bay Area, splitting a tough road trip. In uh, against two of the better teams in the Pac-12. Uh, of course, the importance of their win at Stanford, the repercussions, if any, of their loss at Cal. Uh, kind of turn that into talking about the NCAA tournament. We've talked about this for months, guys, and you know we're just finally a couple days away from Selection Sunday, so that should be fun. And then talking about Vegas. Uh, you know, anytime you talk about Vegas with this group here, uh, we've always got some fun stories, but this time it is about the Buffaloes and their hope to maybe win another Pac-12 tournament championship like they did in Los Angeles in the inaugural year of the Pac-12. And then to kind of 
wind down the show in the last half. We're going to take a look back at the season that was, uh, talk about some highlights, some lowlights, some surprises, some disappointments. And then, of course, give you a quick look at spring ball with Adam and some of the coverage that you've already done, uh, some of the things that we can expect from you uh, going through this spring ball session. And, of course, give people a little idea about Colorado football's 2015 recruiting uh, that I know you've been very much on top of, Adam. So, guys, let's get into it. Uh, Colorado goes one and one on the road. Uh, of course, notching a big win over Stanford in Palo Alto. The Buffs have found some success uh, on the farm as of late. Their first year, of course, Stanford sweeps the season series against Colorado, physically dominating them in both matchups, handing them their worst home loss outside of Arizona this year of the Pac-12 uh, since the Pac-12 was formed. But then they go on the road to Cal just across the bay on the right side of the Bay Area, which is the East Bay. What, what? Uh, and they fall to the Cal Bears in overtime, despite holding a nine-point lead late in the second half. Guys, obviously, notching a road-winning conference is always big, no matter who you are. It's tough to win on the road. Uh, it, I mean, you look at Utah, a team that was really good at times in conference this season, uh, finished 99 in the conference, but at home, over the course of the season, they were nearly unbeatable. In fact, Oregon and uh, Arizona both needed last-second victories over them. So that's obviously a tough team uh, to beat on the road. That's just one example of Colorado, another example of how hard it is to win on the road. And Cal has been very good at home. They knocked off, number uh, at the time, number one Arizona in Haas Pavilion. So, guys, give, give me your impressions of this week of basketball for Colorado. How important was the Stanford win briefly? And, you know, what kind of repercussions can we expect from the loss at Cal? Um, I take my view on it from something that I heard from a player today. And what he said is, uh, we, he said, we played so well on that trip. And he didn't, even, he didn't even talk about the fact that they lost to Cal. He said, our confidence is sky high right now. Coming off of that, we played great. That's the best we played on the road. We're feeling really good going into the Pac-12 tournament. So from that, you know, I look at that as a huge success for them on the road. Um, they really should have won that game at Cal. They had a lot of opportunities to yeah. do that. Um, but, you know, the, it didn't happen. And I don't think it's one of the – for some something about it, it's not one of those bone-crushing losses where, you know, if you lose in overtime and it was just in your grasp and now you just have this dead feeling. They're confident that they went on the road and really played well for two games, which – it's something they haven't really done that often. So I think that the the trip itself was a huge success for them, and I think it's good some, something for them to build off of going into the Pac-12 tournament. If you asked any Colorado fan before last week, would you take a split with the Stanford-Cal trip out there? They would take that. And so the fact that they were able to get that one, that was really when you talk about building a resume for the NCAA tournament committee, that was the one thing that they still didn't have was that impressive road victory. So to be able to get that really kind of – tied it all together for them, and then guaranteeing that you're going to, you know, have a, a 500 record uh, post-Spencer Spencer Dinwiddie going down uh, as far as regular season games, I think was really uh, an impressive number for this team to put together, those seven wins. Yeah, and if you, if you split every road trip in conference, and then, of course, your one road game against your regional rival as the Pac-12 sets it up, if you lose that game, you're still four and five on the road in conference and in a very good conference. So really, this team was just one road win off of that mark. And who knows, it could have come in Seattle had Spencer Dinwiddie not gone down. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to look at it from a, people are just too caught up 
in one game. I mean, yeah, obviously we had a chance to win at Cal, and it would have been obviously a huge win. But as Adam said, getting one game on that trip is a huge success, let alone two. I mean, we, we on the board, people were talking about us finishing with five straight losses to finish the season before this trip happened, which clearly did not happen, and we beat Stanford. I mean, you look at, obviously I do all this bubble analysis stuff, Every single team in that data set right now, which is 20, I think it's 26 now, um, the, the record against our, against RPI top 50 teams on the road is 13 and 77. It's a 14% winning percentage. So that's, it's a rare commodity to have that on your resume. And that was really the only thing that the Buffs were missing in terms of, you know, completing that tournament resume. So to me, I mean, is it the most important win of the season in terms of just filling the whole in the gap in the resume. We needed to get one of those wins to really have no flaws in the system, and I think we did that this weekend. That's all you can ask for. Yeah, and Ryan, you mentioned the player that you talked to today, talking about them playing some really good basketball on the road. And, gosh, you know, you look at the Stanford game, obviously they didn't look great at all times that game in terms of just altogether basketball, but, I mean, you hold the lead for 90% of that game, and you've got to feel good about yourself. And, And Stanford even made a run. There in that second half, and I believe at one point retook the lead, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. But Colorado was able to fight them off and get a, a gutty road win that was really more about toughness than it was execution, which is huge for them. And then at Cal, you know, it they just lose that inch of toughness in the in regulation, or it was either in regulation or overtime. I can't recall it, but they had it might have been overtime actually. Now that I think about it, they had two possessions there late where one rebound seals it. They give they give up an offensive rebound, and I believe a putbacker foul on Kravish, and then another offensive rebound leads to Cal getting a second opportunity and scoring again. So the those are just little things of toughness that you can look at on tape and say, look, we didn't play our perfect game down the stretch. We didn't execute offensively for a lot of that uh, the second half of the second half against Cal, and yet we have an opportunity to win over a good team in their building, if we just get one more rebound. And so when you're going into the conference tournament and you match up against Cal again in that second round, if you are able to beat USC, you have to like your chances and you have to think that this team will be well prepared for them, I think, uh, by Tad Boyle going into that. So I I think you definitely look at the road trip as a success. I asked Tad Boyle last year what he felt about momentum heading into postseason play. And, and he said he did not believe in it whatsoever because the year before they had lost three of four in the first year of the pack. This team lost three of four, including two blowout losses on the road in Oregon and Oregon State before running off four straight wins and four straight days in L.A. to win the conference's auto bid into the big dance. And last year, they obviously get a monumental win without Andre Robertson over Oregon, a, a ranked Oregon squad at home. They dominate them in nearly every facet of the game. And then they flop, completely flop against Oregon State. And they turn, turn around a couple days later and beat Oregon State. You know, and, and we've all said for a long time that Oregon State's been a bad matchup for CU because of their size and their zone defense. So I don't necessarily look at momentum being that big of a deal. But I do think that they need to focus on one thing and one thing only to help their NCAA tournament hopes, and that's beating USC. Because we've talked about this a lot, guys. This team, 
I don't know that they're a lock. I don't know that anybody is a lock unless you've got like a top 25 RPI and some good wins and maybe even a bad loss thrown in there, but probably not. But this team is in really good shape. And I think just to ease a little bit of whatever stress Buff fans would have or this coaching staff for this team would have, you can't lose to USC. Uh, I think even if you lose them, that's your only bad loss on the year. You know, I don't think they have a sub-100 loss on the, on the entire year. So, sub-what, uh, RPI-100 loss, that is. So, guys, when we look at this, how are you feeling about Colorado's chances for the NCAA tournament? And, and is there anything that could happen in the next week that would change your mind about that? Um, well, just going back to the momentum thing you talked about, I, they were on bad momentum uh, two years ago, and then you kind of saw it when they played an absolutely horrible game against Utah. Mm-hmm. And they, I think they scored 53 points. They still won that game. And last year, the same thing. They come off a, a bad loss, and they still don't play well. So I, I still think momentum still holds some water in, this, in the sense that if they didn't get two horrible teams to play in those two games, they probably wouldn't have won those. In my but anyway, going forward, <laughs> anyway. Uh, I, think they're, I, I think you're pretty spot on. When you talk about their tournament chances, um, they should be a, a, a lock right now. Mostly backed up by what Tyler said about their resume. They have the resume. You know, it, it, all of the spots are filled in except for bad loss, which is the one that you don't want filled in. So, <clears throat> I think as as long as they take care of USC, they're a definite lock. Even then, they still should be in the tournament. They just really don't want to lose that game because. Then they're all going to be, you know, sitting on their hands, sweating at Tad Boyle's house on Selection Sunday. Yeah, I think they are a lock at this point, and the only thing the USC win does is just that it alleviates a lot of stress for Colorado fans for the team going into Selection Sunday. Not because I, I mean, I think a lot of that stems off what happened in Tad Boyle's first year, and just kind of that uneasy feeling of, of uh, not always knowing what the committee is going to do. But I think uh, I think that Stanford win uh, seals it for them. They're going to be in the tournament, but. Uh, you know, the media gets to come and cover uh, Selection Sunday at Tad Boyle's house if he's 100% certain they're in. So hopefully they get that win so we can go, uh, you know, enjoy the celebration. With, with Mrs. The Boyle's cooking. Maybe some barbecue. They, they, they cater? Pasta Jays? I'm always hey. a fan of that. So. Hey, can't turn down some Pasta Jays, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, you can define a lot however you want. I mean, is there is there a scenario out there that could see Colorado get left out? Yeah, Probably. I mean, it involves planes crashing, cruise ships running into each hey, other. Hey, the Malaysia it's, airline right, that's, did yes, go missing. Right. So we need about four more of those. And then maybe they don't But you don't think those. with a loss to USC and some weird things happening in other major conference tournaments, they... Okay. I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's the scenario. Yes. But it's a very rare case where more than two or three bids get stolen every single year by a team that wouldn't be in without... Right. without Especially this year, where the main one that we were all looking to is Wichita State, and they already obviously took care of that. That's going to be a one big league. Most of the most of the leagues this year are one big leagues. I mean, people talk about um, North Dakota State, Toledo. They're not getting in unless they win their conference tournament. Their RPI will be above forty if they lose both those tournaments. There's just not the opportunities aren't there for the other teams around the country. I mean, you look at our resume compared to the other teams on the bubble. Worst case scenario right now is we're the, the second ten seed in most projections, which means eight teams have to pass us in the next week to get in. And then a ninth team is going to have to do it to jump us for the last spot. It's The chances of that happening, plus us losing to USC, which 10-pound projections has it like 18.7% chance that happens. So if you couple all those things together, 
I mean, you're talking worst case scenario, probably a 95, 96% chance that we're a hundred percent locked. And then everything has to go wrong from that point for us to be in trouble. I just, we're a nine seed on some projections, even an eight on some of the ones that include all the bracket, the bracket matrices. That's, that's so far in. I mean, you compare our resume to a team like Memphis, who's a seven right now, and it's a lot closer than it is to somebody who's last four out on Lenardi right now. It's just not that close. So, say, say Colorado loses. They lose to USC. Say Utah goes on a run. Say Cal loses their second-round game. I... I mean, is there anything in this conference? Now you're putting USC in the semifinals <laughs> of the yeah. 12 tournament. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not, it, I, I guess my point is, is there anything in this conference? Whoa. <laughs> For those that are not on the radio, don't know what just happened. Um, <laughs> is there anything that could happen in this conference? Focus, Will. Focus. I'm trying. You know, she was pretty good you looking. You guys got to get down here to the Blake Street Town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the talent. The talent. The talent. High major. Um, so, what was I saying? Okay, so <laughs> is, is there anything in this conference that could really happen that would change your mind? I mean, I I think Utah is a team that needed to sweep the Bay Area. They needed to finish 7-2 and two on the year, plus a, a couple wins in the Pac-12 tournament, too. So really get in the conversation just because, you know, if they're – out-of-conference schedule isn't complete and utter crap. They're in. I mean, if they play a top 100, if they play a top 100 strength of schedule, now, we can't automatically assume they win all those games, especially since they've really improved as the year has gone on. But my point is this. Right now, we're looking at Arizona, UCLA, Oregon, Arizona State as three mortal locks Four. My God, I am still distracted over what we just witnessed. Okay, so we have four absolute locks to get in the tournament. Then we look at Colorado. I mean, as you kind of said, it's anything but – it's everything but a lock, I guess, and depending on how you define lock. Then you have Stanford and Cal kind of in that next tier of fighting to get in, and that would be seven teams from the conference. Is there anything that could happen with those two – or, like I said, a Utah, that would sway you. I mean, quickly. No. Uh, you, you know, the thing, the thing that people forget about the tournament is it's not played at home. And that's going to be Utah's biggest problem. They, you know, even with their big win this weekend, they have two road wins on the year. That's, you know, that's a big thing that the committee looks at. And they just didn't play anyone. I mean, our, our profile three years ago, which got us left out, had a better out-of-conference schedule than them, which is impossible to imagine. And and we finished um, higher than them in the league. That We finished fifth, I think, that year in the Big 12. And Utah yeah, is fifth. not eight seed, right? Yeah, you know, they're, they're tied for Well, still, whatever. The yeah, team, no, they're no, behind no. all the teams ahead of yes. them besides Washington. So They're behind all the teams ahead of yeah, them. Another sage-worthy no, statement. It's not a tiebreaker, I mean. No, like, I, know, I know what you mean. seven teams in front of them. And then they're the next year at nine and nine, and to me, their RPI is still in the eighties. They're not getting in unless they win the conference tournament, which I mean, I guess theoretically is possible. I, for me, I don't trust them to win four. But if that happens, somebody from the conference could get left out. But that's not really. But would you mean. lean towards a stand? Like if that say, Cal, let's play the hypothetical the here. First person, to be out. Right. We're not. It'd be it'd be us, Stanford, and Cal in that order 
on the C line for most people right now. Lenardi apparently has Cal outs. Yeah, most people have Cal outs as the first or second. They, have, they just have so many losses. Yeah, I mean, and I not think, and I not. Yeah, they their profile is maybe a little better than they get credit for, but they also don't have a lot of. I mean, they're they're on the bubble, and they, they deserve to be for sure. Um, to me, though, they don't say, "Oh, there's too many teams from the Pac-12 in the field." Right. The committee does not take that into account. So Utah getting in most likely is not going to throw somebody else from the Pac-12 out. It could, depending on how this S-curve works out. But if it was to be a team from the Pac-12, it would not be us. Gotcha. That's what we're looking for. And guys, let's let's we're we're already kind of on the subject of the Pac-12 tournament. Adam. What happened two years ago was unprecedented in this conference's history because the number of teams in the conference was unprecedented in its history. But still, someone going four wins in four days does not happen very much for a team like that. You know, I mean, there are teams that win, it, that win conferences that don't have a first-round bye. But, I mean, Colorado was picked to finish, what, 12th in the league that year or 11th or 12th in the league that 11th, year. I'm pretty sure. And so my, my thing is this, is I don't think any of us are picking – Colorado to win this tournament because Arizona is pretty darn good. But what are you looking for out of this team in, in Vegas? Uh, could they win it? Do they have that potential? Could they match up with Arizona in the finals and get by them? And I'm crazy. You're right. <laughs> okay. There we go. So could they get by Arizona? Could they get to the championship game? Could they win it? And if not, what are you looking for? Uh, this weekend. Since Spencer went down, I don't think we've seen enough consistent stretches of basketball to think that this team could go out there and win four games. Um, so I'm going to say that's not a possibility. What I want to see out of this team is kind of what you saw in Stanford. Even though they had that stretch where they didn't score in the second half, they had that resiliency and, and to kind of show some of that fight. And the, and the, the guy, Xavier Johnson, the, the, the way he, uh, he played out at, at Cal, that's the type of uh, when, when he plays that well, they can really match up against anybody. I want to see him play at that level out, out in Las Vegas. Um, but I, I really do feel, I mean, yes, you, you, you need to beat USC just for perception's sake. But aside from that, it really, I think at this point, you're kind of talking about playing with house money at this point. Uh, getting into the tournament, once Spencer didn't win, he went down. We did that show, and... I think I was the most op- – Brian and I were more optimistic. We were about 50%, 60%. But most people did not expect them to make the tournament. So just the fact that they've kind of already accomplished that, to play with house money, uh, to, make a, to make a run in the tournament, you'd have to have – like what happened before was Carlin Brown just all of a sudden started playing like an All-American yeah. for a week. Can Colorado get that out of one of, their, one of their guys? Theoretically, yes, but I certainly wouldn't expect them to win more than one, maybe two games at the most. Yeah, I mean, I think just for sanity's sake, so I don't have to hear people <laughs> talking about how we're not getting in, just win, just beat USC, and you would have, I would hope that all that chatter would go away. I mean, that would, you would have no bad loss on the season, and you have to feel pretty comfortable that you're getting in. Most of these teams on the bubble aren't going to go on huge runs in their tournament either. There's a reason they're on the bubble. Um, would you like to beat Cal and not have a season sweep if you get through to the next round? Yeah, of course you would. Um, I don't think we're getting past Arizona in the semifinals. There's no shame in that. Uh, I agree with Adam. We haven't played consistent enough to say we're really going to go on a huge run. Um, but I think they should just go out there and have some fun, really. I mean, you 
they uh, they have a chance to grow and you know just prepare themselves for the tournament. And I and I think that they have an opportunity to do that. They they should take out USC um, comfortably, and we can just go from there and see what happens. Yeah, I'm just looking for the Buffs to uh, have some success on the craps table. Oh, it's just what I'm looking for out of me. My bad. Uh, <laughs> Swing and a miss. <laughs> um, no, nah, but. I think, you know, I think they could make a run. Sun's out, guns out, man. <laughs> sun's out, guns out in Vegas the whole time. Um, I think that they could make a run. I think Askew Booker is the kind of player like Harlan Brown that could all of a sudden just go off and, and go crazy for four, four days. I mean, it's a possibility. And I also don't think it's a, the craziest thing that, for Utah to beat Arizona in, in that second-round game and really make the Buffs path to the championship uh, a favorable one. So, I wouldn't say it's out of the question, but, but yeah. Um, you done? Yeah, I'm done. Uh, and dying. I, I don't, I, I think they just need to win that USC game. It's kind of what I was talking about last week when, you know, they had that Utah game and they could have won that and kind of been playing with house money for the rest of, uh, of the season. Well, you know, they got it at, at Cal, or at Stanford, and, and then you saw them kind of play a, a looser type of basketball at Cal. That was nice for them. I think just beat USC and then just, you know, just play and play to play for no other reason, no no pressure, and see what happens from there. Yeah, I think what I, w- what I would like to see is the ski Booker get back on track a little bit. Uh, he's had a couple really subpar games in a row. Uh, he wasn't excellent by any means at Stanford. At Cal, he certainly struggled. At Utah, he certainly struggled. Against Arizona, he certainly struggled. You know, so this is a string of games for him where – I think it was to be expected that he was going to take a step back a little bit from the form that he had reached, uh, just because, number one, that's who a skill booker is. You know, he's going to give you five really great games and five really games where you need a lot more from him. Uh, but also, I mean, it's hard to maintain that level of play for anybody. I mean, let alone a, a guy who has his kind of playing style, his personality. So I think I would look I would look as a team to see if a skill booker can get things going and and Xavier Johnson as well. You know, he obviously, at Stanford, I think that's the most aggressive he's been all year, looking for his own shot. And, and sometimes to the detriment of the team, because he was hoisting some stuff up there that was not pretty. Uh, but, of course, at Cal, he completely paces the team for the first half. You know, he doesn't see a lot of action in the second half, which was surprising, uh, especially down the stretch and in overtime. So I would look for him to get back on uh, or continue to be on track a little bit um, and see if you can get some improved play from him. And then I, I think the biggest thing for this team over the next two weeks is going to be in the Pac-12 tournament and in the NCAAs, whoever they play, is getting Wes Gordon back healthy and, and comfortable out there. You know, I think you saw flashes of it in both games against Stanford and against Cal. Of course, his big block against Stanford was huge, but offensively he was so uncomfortable. Against Cal, you saw him settle down because why? He got the ball on the block. Now, he didn't score every time, but he showed some moves in there that are pretty scary when you think about the fact that he's a freshman. Had a really nice hook, had one where he went over his right shoulder and scooped it under uh, his defender's arm to the rim. That was a really impressive move for a young guy. Uh, If he can kind of get comfortable again post-injury, then all of a sudden... You're not putting the same kind of pressure on Dustin Thomas that you had been for the previous weeks and that he clearly felt against Cal uh, with his three-shot attempts at the end of regulation. So I think that's what I'm looking for the most. 
can Xavier get going a little bit? Can Askia reclaim form or just if Askia, if all Askia is is kind of regressing and extending the mean, then I guess you're due for something good here in the next two weeks. So that, and of course, getting West back comfortable, healthy, and, and really settled in back to the starting rotation. And Askia Booker does have. Ironically, he hasn't been very good on the road, but on neutral core games, he has a very good track. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was he earns MVP of the Charleston Classic a year ago. Against, They're only in, a, in it against Illinois last year because of him. Yeah. In the that was, tournament. That was a, he put on a show for like and then 14 minutes. Baylor, the his freshman year in, in the NCAA tournament against Baylor, what did he have, 16 points, 17 points? Yeah, I mean, he's obviously capable. I think going back to just to kind of tie it all together a little bit, the – it's a misnomer that we lose this game. We're going to be the only team to have a bad loss on the season. I mean, right now, we're the only team that doesn't have a bad loss that's on the bubble. And some of these teams have three. I mean, there are multiple teams sitting on the bubble seed line right now with three losses to teams over RPIs with over a hundred RPI. I think. I think when you when they show the little graphics in game, you know, when they say good wins, bad losses. I think, you know, people have been showing a bad loss, the worst loss, as at Utah. Because I think a lot of people have started to just kind of wipe out the Washington game, uh, you know, really yeah. putting this team at 21-9 and nine, uh, because the Washington game obviously losing Spencer Dinwiddie uh, just before halftime. But if your worst loss on the year, and, and this is including Pac-12 tournament, is in Salt Lake City against a team that lost two games at home all yeah. year and they were both in last-second situations against Oregon and Arizona, yeah, their resume pretty is pretty good. Yeah. You, know, you don't have a whole lot to fret about. They beat UCLA there. They beat a lot of teams there. That's yeah. by no, they have they to put something on there. Smacked Arizona. Yeah, they, Arizona State. Pardon me. They, I mean, they have to. It's one of those. They have to put something. They can't say bad loss. You know, I mean, yeah. for somebody on the, on the bubble, you know, they could have put Washington there too, I guess. But I mean, many, many, many teams lose those type of games every single year, whether they're a four seed or a ten. So right now, we really don't. To me, we don't have anything to worry about. Their worst performance was a win at Washington State. With oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, well, we, we've started this process, I guess, and it's time to continue it, is kind of looking back on this year. And the Buffs obviously finishing 21-10 and 10 on the year. Um, uh, tying the record for most regular season wins in program history. Um Obviously, doing so much of it without Dinwiddie, I think we're all pretty impressed by this team's resiliency. I mean, I remember the show we did right after the injury, and, and we didn't do as much on air, but off air before the show, uh, we were all talking about what we thought this team could go the rest of the way. And my first reaction was, well, I, I can see seven and seven, but gosh, six and eight sounds a lot more realistic. And even, you know, some of us were talking five and nine. And obviously, this team didn't do that. They, they strung together quite, quite a run there. So let's let's take a, a full look back. What was, if you had to say a season highlight, and I have a pretty good feeling about what this is going to be for What's just about no everybody. Brainer, yeah. It has to be the win over Kansas at home. For all the history between those, those two programs, and by history I mean gruesome history for the Buffaloes, it, for them to win and win in that style, obviously, I mean, it's up for player of the year for Lord's sake. I mean... Skia Booker hitting the game-winning shot over a top-10 Kansas team. Guys, what, what would I guess what would be a runner-up for the season's top highlight? Talking a singular highlight? Like, is the one where, I mean... Yeah, a singular highlight. What else would I mean? I'm going to go with the Arizona State win. That's a program they had really struggled with, uh, struggled against, and especially kind of the 
the worst moment of the season, I think, was right after their performance in Tempe, and that was uh, our most negative show that I think we've oh, ever easily. done on the basketball program. So I think kind of getting that over the hump against that program was big for them. It's a good pick. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about one singular highlight playoff, I mean, the Jaron Hopkins dunk is pretty awesome. Uh, to me, CJ Wilcox? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. The one over CJ Wilcox. To me, though, I didn't actually write the Kansas win. I said Josh Scott, just kind of generic to me. Um, I knew he was going to be a great college player. I think everybody did. But he's taken the step this year that I thought might take him until his junior year. And he is a premier big man. We always say on the West Coast, but, I mean, at this point, I'm going to start including the country. He's a stud. I'll take him against pretty much any big man in the country. I mean, really, what team wouldn't he start for? Yeah. Kansas? And... I mean, would, would he, though? I mean... He'd start for Arizona. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Start for, for Duke. Sure. Yeah. Start for Syracuse. But Embiid would start, but I think they'd find a way to get Josh Scott on the floor. Oh, he's, he's on the... I don't know. He's on the floor for significant minutes. No, no. I mean, like, as a four. They'd start him. Really? I think so. He's he's really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, I'm, to me, I'm just really excited about having him for two more years. Awesome. Two more years. Not ready for NBA talk. I, I think I think the highlight, just in general, is just the rebound from, from the Spencer Dinwiddie injury. I think, you know, it's... Tad Boyle, you know, kept saying it. Don't count the steam out. Don't count the steam out. And we were, everyone was kind of like, okay, Tad, you know, we won't. <laughs> okay, bud. <laughs> like, and, you know, the, and they pulled it together. And I think almost a, an overarching moment is, is that win at Stanford. I mean, they needed, they needed to get that split. And I think that just – that's when I kind of said, you're right, Tad. We shouldn't have, we shouldn't have counted them out because, you know – they have that grit, and they have, they got that gutty win that they just had to have it. And so, I guess just that whole thing. But, but I think that Sanford win really, I mean, it's, it's the most important thing they did all season. My runner-up would be the game against Oregon. Uh, because, obviously, Oregon was undefeated at the time. They were ranked as number 10 in the country. Colorado was ranked as well. It was a big-time game. It was a big-time atmosphere. It was a big-time performance from a lot of big-time players. I mean, it, I, I, I remember tweeting during the game, this was it, this is one of my favorite tweets I've ever had, not because it was smart or funny or whatever, but it was just like, it, it summed up the moment, I think, really well, not to pump my own horn or anything like that, but it was like... No one would ever accuse you. Never, never, <laughs> never. It was like, if you're interested in watching guards go at each other and have disregard for offensive sets, please turn to Fox Sports or ESPN or whatever it was right now to watch Colorado Oregon, because that's what it was. It was up and down basketball. It was the kind of free-flowing basketball that I think a lot of people envisioned when Todd Boyle got here and he touted his run-and-gun offense that hasn't always run and gun, but it, they're certainly capable. You know, and, and that game was so exciting because you had these haymakers thrown by every team. I mean, the, the moment where Oregon jumps out to a 10-point lead in the second half in the blink of an eye, seemingly, and Colorado just throws one right back Skia Booker and Spencer Dinwiddie taking shots that if I'm coaching a team, I, it's one of those no, 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 yes, yes, yes kind of shots. And there were several of them. And the teams were talking trash. Guys were going at it. And it was so much fun just to watch. It was such a pleasure. And then, of course, along with that, the I think it was his second – no, it was the first three from Spencer against Harvard. Because Xavier Johnson had just put hit the two to put CU ahead. 
And then Spencer pulls up from that NBA range, like a couple steps outside of NBA range, just in the, like, the C runs this secondary break, uh, kind of offense that gets them into stuff every time they run down the floor. And instead of passing it to the big man up top, which we've become accustomed to see, his man was not, like, sagging off him tremendously. It wasn't, it wasn't like he was wide open. He just decided little rock, rock rhythm dribble and pulled up from what looked like 25 feet. And it was nothing but net. I mean, and he, it was right when he released it. He had this look on my face that was like, oh, there's something I wish I could say before now. It's just like, mess with me, man. Like, this is what I can do. You know, like, what are you going to do about this? So that would be, those would be my runners up. Uh, what about surprises for the year? So, you know, I, I would say that uh, the team going seven and seven without Dinwiddie could qualify a surprise if you want. But what, what about some individual uh, performances from players or something like that? What, what would be your biggest surprise? Um, from an individual perspective, well, I guess it's not really an individual. I would just say the freshmen, I thought one would for sure become the guy and be like every single game at the end of the year we know we could go to this person off the bench and they produce. And it's not to say that they ha- someone hasn't shown up every night. It's been pretty close to that. But it's still tough to figure out your location when you don't know exactly who that person is going to be. So to me, that was a little surprising. I think it was going to be Fletcher, and I think he was on his way to yeah, do that. Yeah, I mean, obviously his injury makes that difficult. Um, Wes, too, I mean, you could include in there. His yeah. injury has made him pretty inconsistent, especially down the stretch. Um, Dustin Thomas has been – I mean, it seems like he has five minutes of everyone gets really excited about him, and then 35 where everyone's just wondering what he's doing on the floor. Um, he's – He's had some interesting minutes so far this year, and uh, my uh, I was gonna I was gonna talk a little bit about the the finish, the seven and seven finish. I think to me, the the keys to that were the Stanford game, which we mentioned, the Arizona State home game, and one of the three of the Washington Washington State Utah. I think those are all questionable. Can we get these wins without Spencer type moments? And they really came through in all three situations. So to me, it's impressive. Guy I'm going to throw out there is Xavier Tolton. Really, what he did once Dinwiddie went down, he's been since that point. He's been their best three-point shooter, and uh, you know, obviously, would have liked to have one more uh, go down for him. Uh, that was a, be- a great look that he had late in the Cal game. But he's a guy that um, I didn't know that he could do his what he's done consistently since Dinwiddie went down. I saw him as a guy they would have to continue to bring off the bench and limit his minutes. Otherwise, he was going to show some weakness in that lineup. But he really hasn't. He's been a solid contributor uh, the last uh, couple months. I think my biggest surprise, just in the literal sense of the word, is Jerron Hopkins shooting the ball. Because <laughs> we've talked about this a lot. I saw him throw he, – he was second to Ben Mills leading the team in air balls before the season in practice. And That's very true, now, actually. Now I remember <laughs> – I mean, I think when, when he, maybe even more than Xavier Tallman, when he's wide open, I, I expect him to make it almost more than anyone on the team, which, I, I mean, that's just a huge credit to him um, just as a player putting in that work. And, and he he seems to just, I mean, he has no nerves. He has no, you know, when, he, when he's open, he just doesn't hesitate. He just strokes it. So to me, I mean, the first time he shot it, I was shocked that he was even allowed to shoot like, I thought he was only allowed to do layups. And now he just knocks down shots consistently. So I'm, uh, uh, that's my biggest surprise. Yeah, I will, I will say that he has an incredible ability to – he's 
when it went when he before he releases the ball, I'm always really scared because it doesn't look very good. And then as soon as the ball is released, it always looks like it's going in. Even when, like he's had a couple air balls this year that I was just like catch, and it was, <laughs> and it was too deep. <laughs> no, he, he's a guy that and the coaches have worked with uh, him on this after practices. When he steps up, and even though his his shooting motion is always going to be slow, well, maybe not always, but it just is slow whether he makes it or misses it. But you can tell when there's a little bit of a hitch on the release, and that's and the coaches have described it as him trying to think about form. And when he doesn't think about form, he doesn't make it every time. But he shoots some, a really good ball when he doesn't think about form. And so I, you know, I think that's an interesting point. I, I would say my biggest surprise, you know, I. I think that I, of us four, from day one, I've been the highest on Josh Scott. I mean, I remember when he first got here, I, I was pimping him as maybe the best freshman in the Pac-12. Josh, as you said, took a leap this year, not just with being able to finish as well as he has, uh, being a, a really good free throw shooter, being kind of a silent leader, but what I've seen from him defensively it's something I never thought I'd see. He's a legitimate shot blocker now, on the ball. I was going to say. I mean, not, he's not great off the ball at blocking shots. I mean, he's fine. But on the ball, he's become really good. And he has stepped up his defensive rebounding to a level that I didn't think would happen. Last year, he had, of like the often used big men in the country, he had one of the lowest defensive rebounding percentage rates of anybody. Now, part of that, obviously is going to be due to Andre Robertson having probably the highest defensive rebounding rate of available rebounds. But more so than anything, it was effort with him. It was a mindset that he didn't have a year ago of finishing a possession himself and taking onus upon himself to do that. And and so with that, I want to give credit to the coaching staff because they really pounded that into his head this summer that was, you are going to have to step up and be our rebounder this year. You have always just kind of lucked into getting rebounds in high school because you're 6'10". You know, last year he wasn't aggressive enough on it. And this year he is going up to the highest point of the ball and snatching it out. And that's something that he didn't – it's not that he just, like, didn't have the opportunity to do it last year. He didn't do it. And he's doing it now. And, and that's a big surprise for me. Uh, biggest, also, the fire from him. Yeah, absolutely. He takes that charge at Stanford and he's screaming and yelling. That is something you would not have seen last no. year either. And that's, I think that almost goes into the, to the leadership category, which is something that he needs to step up in. And he's done a good job of that fire and that emotion. It's something that I think is another huge improvement for him. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I would say my, not my biggest, but one of my main issues with him as an NBA prospect, especially when he came out of school, is the fact that he wasn't a great rebounder by any means. I would have never said he would flirt with a double-double average in college. He's doing that now. He's really going to do that next year and his senior year too. I mean, it's, yeah, I would agree. His his uh, his aggressiveness on the glass is really proven. Obviously, his size is helping him there, getting all that weight. Yeah, I, when looking at disappointments for this year, Tyler, you talked about the freshmen as kind of being your surprise and disappointment a little bit. I I honest, I I see other answers for this, but to me, the biggest one has got to be Xavier Johnson, because you look at this the, the progress that Josh made from year one to year two that Spencer made from year one to year two Andre. And, and Andre and you know even to a point Askia you know Talton. and Xavier Talton we have not seen that from Xavier Johnson he's been so inconsistent now his numbers in some categories are better he's shooting a lot more threes for some reason 
You know, he, he's still a, a he's a capable shooter, but he's not picking his spots well this year for his shot. Uh, in fact, he passes up a lot of good looks to take a one dribble pull up behind a defender on a pick and roll. That doesn't really make sense to me. So Xavier Johnson was on a lot of breakout player lists across the country coming in this year, and he hasn't had that uh, breakout year. So that's my disappointment. Um, I'm going to – we talked about freshmen. I'm just going to go to one in, specific, in, in particular, and I'm just going to say Dustin Thomas. Um, when we talked before the season about, you know, a freshman that you're most excited to see play, I, I was hard on, on the, the Dustin Thomas bandwagon. Um, we, you know, you heard stories of him dropping, I think, I want to say 50. It might have been 40 in a pro-am game. Um, 40. 40. So, you know, I, I was really expecting him to come in and, and at least be that guy that just knocks down open shots all the time, um, if nothing else. And, you know, uh, he, I, I don't even know what he's shooting from three, but it's got to be under 20%. 19%. Yeah, 19%. Oh, we know who Adam's disappointment is. Yeah. <laughs> 19% from three. I was going to say it's got to be under 20 Um and, you know, he he's not playing smart basketball either. And that's what Tad will always talk about. Okay, you're not knocking down your shots. Okay, defend and rebound the ball. And, I mean, there's some fouls that he commits that just they make zero sense. There's, I forget which game, the Utah game. And he just kind of bumped into a guy on the break and let him have a wide on right. And you're just, you scratch your head. That's the kind of thing that as a coach you, you don't even know what to say to them at that point. And his attitude on the court has been really poor. He's yeah. always complaining to the refs. He's always sulking. Yeah. So, yeah, to me, that, that it's disappointing to see. Um, and you hope for him and for the Buffs that he can, you know, make a step forward in the offseason. Yeah, mine's Dustin Thomas as well. You, you're you playing 15 minutes a game, and you lead the team in fouls. With 77 personal fouls this year. That, that That's is, a stat. I bet Andre did too, but, his, but at least he had smart fouls. Dustin does not. He has, he, no, he's I'm got. He's made one smart. He, he he has got to have. I bet half of those are and ones. Seriously. Yeah. It's so many. It seems like multiple times a game he gives them. Tyler's not bugged about it at all. I can tell. No. Well, yeah, based off everything we heard about him and even saw in practices leading up to the season, I thought, oh, this is the guy that can score seven points a game off the bench, be a huge contributor, and it just has not worked out that way. But I, I, I still, I, I have faith in him long term. I think this is a guy that's going to. At some point, get it, and when he does, yeah. he's going to be. Uh, you, you don't want it to be like Levi Knutson, where it takes till his senior year until he really gets it. But I think by the time he's an upperclassman, he he will become one of their better bench players. His skill level is really high. He just has to put it together. Yeah, I mean, he, there's at least one point in game where he makes a move that you're like, "This is what I need from Dustin Thomas." He just, he just can't do it consistently. And I think we kind of forget that he's from a really small town. And sometimes that his his basketball transition is going to be bigger than some of these guys like Jerron and Xavier Johnson who play elite level. Talent. And he's okay. uh, Xavier, Xavier Talton, and yeah, he's got more Thomas. tools that Talton has. Yeah, and exactly. Talton obviously made a huge leap this year. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of time. I'm not going to keep harping on that though. Um, to me, I'm surprised nobody said this actually. To me, the biggest disappointment was Spencer's injury. Um, just because, I mean that's a yeah. I'm at, I just figured it'd be touched on a little bit. It's, for me. Just because of what this team could have been. This would have been the best team ever at Colorado. At least in the era of, you know, you know, social media and, you know, fine. They went to the Final Four in whatever it was, the 50s. 40s. When, when like, call later was, yeah, that's fine. With, like, eight teams. And, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's just not the same. And we went – I mean, we're obviously we've rebounded nicely. We're still going to make the tournament. And some of the goals that we had preseason are still going to get fulfilled. 
but it just would have been awesome to root for a top 25 basketball team for literally an entire season. Yeah. Well, that'll do it for our basketball segment of the show. And gosh, it's hard to believe that the regular season is done. And that, that season went by really quick to me. Um, Moving on to football, spring ball has started. Uh, in case anybody forgot that CU actually does have another revenue sport, um, Mike McIntyre begins his second uh, spring as the coach of the University of Colorado. And Slimmed down, Mike. He looks good. He's looking great. Damn, I need to get on whatever he's on, man, and quick. Maybe he's doing CrossFit. Possibly. Is he? He's on the put-the-fork-down diet. <laughs> I've never been good at that one. Adam, what have been some of your early impressions of this Spring ball. I know the um, spring photo gallery got quite the uh, uproar on BuffStampede.com's message board. Well, it's funny. The first two practices are in shorts. So the team's going to look smaller when you don't they have They do every on. year. Alabama yes. looks small in shorts. Well, kind yeah. of. No. USC doesn't. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, Oregon might. <laughs> yeah. No, so they're, they're really, I mean, two practices in, in, in shorts. How much can you really gather? The one thing I will say after watching them for a couple of days Isafo Lufau really took what Brian Lindgren told him he needed to work on to heart. And what was that? Footwork. Uh, and with that improved footwork, he's got a lot more zip on his ball. Really? And all of a sudden, he's throwing the deep ball that looked kind of like Connor Wood was throwing. It was kind of Isafo's weakness last year. Yeah. And he looks like a, a different quarterback than he did um, at times last year. Obviously, um, they're not going to be running the zone read option a lot with Sefo Lufau, but they, they feel like they can get a little bit more out of that with him uh, being a little bit healthier, a little bit bigger. He's put on some weight uh, since last season, so that's the big thing there. Um, there's moving parts on the offensive line. That's one of the more interesting storylines. They've got uh, K.E.V. Crab at left tackle right now, and he's been an interior guy previously in his career here. You've got Alex Kelly, who uh, played some last year as a redshirt freshman, who's taken the majority of the reps at center. Um, so, to see how kind of the pieces fit on that O-line is going to be interesting. Defensive line, obviously the biggest disappointment was the fact that Justin Solis and Samson Kapavali are not competing uh, due to academics. So, and, and you've got Tyler Hennington down to 245. So, that defensive tackle uh, group, aside from uh, uh, Josh Tupo, was looking pretty, pretty thin and, and uh, short in numbers. So, those are a few things that have kind of stood out to me. In the secondary, I really like... Uh, Kello Witherspoon's length and what he's going to add to the mix there. I think their secondary has a chance to be quite a bit better than it was last year. And you, you have Tedrick Thompson's got a little bit more uh, seasoning uh, going into his second year. So uh, that that secondary unit isn't quite as scary as it was a year ago. Those are just a few things that stand out. Adam, in, in your opinion, how much of an idea, if any, does Springwell give fans, media, people, uh, how much of an idea does it give them about what a team will look like six months later in the fall? Not a whole lot. You've always got that guy, that that walk-on that shines in spring ball and then just disappears. And actually, last year was one of the few times that the guy that emerged during spring ball actually kind of backed it up during the season. That was Dee Dee Goodson. And Addison Um, Gillum. Addison Gillum, yeah. Um, I remember we were all talking about how, oh, oh, Brady Day's going to take that spot back. There are individual players you go, okay, this guy's ready to make strides. But in terms of a team, you're not going to go in spring, after at the end of spring ball, go, this is a seven-win team. There's just no way you can really gauge because they're practicing against each other. They've got some uh, newcomers, some J- Juco guys that are here. Um, and, and then so a qualifier, obviously, that was sat out 
football for six months. Uh, so give us an idea about some new faces here in Boulder that you've seen in spring ball that uh, you think people can kind of, I don't know, that, that you think can be that guy that shows up in fall and continues things that they've shown in spring. Well, yeah, there's only a few newcomers, and, and I mentioned Akella Withers, right. who's got a lot of great length. He's a guy that can play corner. Um, and I think really push Kenneth Crawley, because I think the pressure's on him now. And he, yeah. and Kenneth Crawley got replaced in the second half of that Utah game. I don't know if people remember by, by Jeffrey Hall, who has gone off the reservation <laughs> since then. But, Quite far off the reservation. Yeah. <laughs> so Akella, Akella Witherspoon is a guy that can help this team. Lee Walker on offense very fluid athlete, and every, you know everybody's good. well. Who's going to replace Paul Richardson? No one's going to replace Paul Richardson, but he's a guy that can get behind defenders that you need to stretch the field. And that is a guy if he can learn the playbook, um, is a guy that I think could help them. And then Ryan's favorite, uh, Wyatt Tucker Smith, the long snapper, is another newcomer that will obviously probably start it, step into a starting role. The only other newcomer Star is John. In the making. The only other newcomer is John Lasella, who uh, was a gray shirt. Does he look bigger noticeably? Yeah, he's a, he's a legit 270 or so. He will definitely have to redshirt. But I, I remember watching him his senior year in high school, and he was about 235 at that time. So he's put on – Matt McChesney did a good job putting some weight on him. Um, but I, I don't see him as a guy that's going to contribute anytime soon. Tyler, as a fan, what do you what do you take from spring ball? What do you look for in spring ball? What do you like about spring ball? What do you hate about spring ball? <laughs> spring ball, go. Uh, yeah, I mean, this – Last year I went a little bit, especially in fall camp, so I didn't go as much for spring, but to me it's a, it's a chance to see, you can really see athletes in spring balls. You know what I mean? You, you can find out whether or not these guys have the athleticism that you look for to play at this level right away. Whether or not that translates with pads is tough sometimes. Um, but to me, you just want to see continual progress from the young guys. I mean, but the seniors, the juniors, they should be running the show, you know, make sure that people are doing what they need to do to improve and be contributors as juniors and seniors uh, but it, to me it's like the spring game I used to love it but for whatever reason in the last couple of years it's like really lost its luster to me I it's, think I might know why it's, why Colorado hasn't been very good but they weren't good when I was here before either that's I don't know it's basketball honestly that's could be yeah I mean it could be I don't know it's just like not as much goes on at a spring game as you would think. As like you used to think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, once you come to the practices, now that they're open, like you get a lot of that same action in a practice. And maybe I'm wrong, but that's that's my perspective. McIntyre staff, they don't do a ton of live stuff. Yeah. So they'll, there's only a few occasions in the spring when they actually will tackle to the ground. So that's one aspect of it. I think spring game is just a fun time to get back on campus for, for alumni and fans. And, but, um, I look at the spring game like I look at eggnog. Every, oh, year around the whole, every year around the holiday season, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's eggnog. Like, I'm going to have this and that drink. And I'm like, it wasn't very good while I was on the <laughs> So, I think of you like I think of whiskey. I need to get rid of you in my life, but I just can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So, yeah, spring game is always kind of fun. I will say, speaking of long snappers, though, Justin Drescher was in here talking to a couple of the girls at the bar a couple of weeks ago. He's still making money, so those long snappers. Exactly. Why Impact. Adam, real quick, we don't have too much time left, but good Lord. <laughs> long snappers. Um, Colorado hosted one heck of an official visit list uh, a couple of weeks ago. Unofficial. Unofficial, yeah. There we go. You see? I need you around for something. Um, 
give it, give Colorado fans a little bit. Obviously, you've done a good job on the board, but it looks like Colorado might be stepping up their recruiting game a little bit this year. Are you surprised by that in terms of getting in the conversation for some higher rated, uh, higher caliber recruits? No, because they had their 2014 recruiting class mostly filled up with a month left in the recruiting cycle to be on the road to evaluate kids to kind of plant the seed with the 2015 kids a lot earlier than they did. I mean, you're talking three or four times as many offers are out there. More, They're so much further along in their evaluation of these guys at this point with the 2015 kids as a year ago with the 2014 kids. So I, I, I was not surprised in that sense, but the group that they did bring in, and it was for the Arizona basketball game, the senior day game, where they brought in a group of 13, 14 unofficial visitors. That was that was one of the most star-studded unofficial visitor groups that I've, I've seen in a long time in Colorado. And in, it's impressive because the recruit has to pay for his trip here. So if he's a California recruit and he's paying for his travel to come out to visit, that shows genuine interest. Uh, so that was impressive. And, and I think with the in-state recruiting, you look at some of the top guys this year, Austin Conway, Tim Lanat, uh, Dylan Middlemiss, who they just offered, they have a legit chance at some of these top five kids in state this year, whereas in recent years they really haven't had much of a chance with those top kids. So that's an interesting storyline to, to watch going forward. Give me a, a fact or fiction right here, and I know we'll, you guys will talk about this more after I leave, but uh, just real quick, fact or fiction, Colorado lands a top eight recruiting class in Pac-12 this year. Wow, top eight. So, I, I, you know what, the funny thing is I would actually pick them to finish about eighth or ninth. Huh? So, I, so kind of a fact. So an improvement. A non-fiction, but you're, <laughs> if you will. What, you, what they need to get to is battling with the Arizona schools for chance. Yeah. That's the first step. Because you're not going to beat UCLA and USC. You have to beat Washington State for recruits and, and Utah. Utah, Oregon State. It's that Oregon ne- State. kind of that next group you want to kind of inch a little bit up. Yeah. And I think they can do that based off kind of what we've seen with the early recruiting I hope that gives Colorado fans a little bit of a peek on what they can look for in spring ball and expect from Adam uh, continuing through the end of spring ball, uh, leading up to the spring game. Maybe have some eggnog, apparently, if you like to roll with Ryan. Eggnog and at make... the spring game, sun's out, guns out. You'll see me there. You know what? Holiday that's, mishmash. That's a really <laughs> awesome fitting end to my tenure here at, with Buff CMB. This is this is a, I mean, other than the column I'm writing, that is going to be the most glorious piece of literature ever written, Shakespearean-esque, if you will. Um, this is my last thing uh, on this site. So I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I know I have enjoyed my time with all of you guys. But what is, you know, let, let's really talk about me for a moment. What's your, what's your best mo- memory of me on staff? I think we need to dive into this in the last minute 20. My best memory of Will is not going out the last night in Vegas. <laughs> Soft. The softness was real. <laughs> My best memory has got to be our road trip out to yeah. L.A. and Vegas last year. Just, you know, killing the coverage and, and then, you know, hanging out on the porch and singing songs at night. Oh, I have to throw something else in here that only you will get. Christmas music. Christmas music <laughs> is my favorite moment of Will Wheeler's career. Okay, go. Adam, I'm going to have to go crap some black coffee. That yeah, that was that was a great night, and at, and Ryan throwing a girl down or tackling her on the dance floor. That'll be brought up in tackling dancers. Um, but anyways, <laughs> two. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that'll just about do it here for Buff Stampede Radio at the Blake Street Tavern. Our man Chris Fusile is right here. Thank you for having us so many times here. Thank you for having me. You're a great sponsor well, from Colorado. You're welcome, and we're gonna miss you, buddy.
I hope you guys heard that. He's on the other side of the computer, but he said, Will, you're amazing, really good looking, <laughs> and you've done a great job for Bust MP. Uh, to the subscribers and people who listen, thanks for everything, guys. Uh, you know, it means a lot, and uh, had a really great time here. So, signing off from the Blake Street Tavern for the last time. Ooh, that's emotional. William Whalen, assistant editor, no longer. Take care, guys.